The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 11th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she noted his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, See, see how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench, because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe you sent me. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Over here, Chris. may be seated. At this time I invite all the young and young at heart forward for a special message.
here and always seated there for Elijah. Who's Elijah? Elijah's one of the prophets, right? Now will you pray with me? O oh, blessed communion, fellowship divine. We feebly struggle in this life, yet your saints in glory shine. Yet all, all are one. In thee for all are thine. Alleluia. Alleluia. Be with us, O oh God, and remind us that we are yours. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Communion, fellowship, worshiping with the saints in this place around this table. What happens here? What happens here? Spoiler alert, uh, yeah, my tongue will work. A spoiler alert uh, for the sermon this morning. Um, I have to warn you that it will be disturbing for many of you, if not all of you, in some way, shape, or form. And so let's just go ahead and get it out of the way. What is it that disturbs you as you go about life? Are you people who are disturbed by grammar that is used in a conversation? Wrongly. There's a few. Are you disturbed when you hear the word moist? A few of you there, too. What about the sounds of nails scratching on a chalkboard or the repeated clicking of a pen during a meeting? Are you disturbed by a ringing or a humming in your ears that... You can't always identify because it just seems to be coming from nowhere, or if somewhere, your own mind. <coughs> what about these things? Are you disturbed by the sight of blood, either from a trauma or even a paper cut? 
Are you disturbed by the sound of a monitor beeping in a hospital, ticking away? Or the silence that catches your breath when that beeping turns into a drone? Are you disturbed by reports that come through the news or through family members or through friends that dozens have been injured or killed as a result of war or disease or famine or natural disaster or acts of terror? as we heard about last week out of Pittsburgh. Two times in John's Gospel do we read that Jesus was greatly disturbed. And both of them happened in this passage that we read this morning. Beginning with verse 33. When Jesus saw Mary weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said to them, where have you laid him? Where have you laid Lazarus? And they said, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved them. But some of them said, could not this one who opened the eyes of the blind man not have kept this one from dying? And Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. That word there that describes what Jesus was enduring, greatly disturbed, has connotations of anger and being unsettled, of being shaken in our gut, to our core in such a way that our, 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 our entire being, body, mind, and spirit, are recoiling from whatever it is we're experiencing. A flood of emotions mixed with a, a bodily reaction. The adrenaline kicks in and then our, our fight or flight along with it. And we're left with this uncomfortable unsettling desire that we're unable to deal with what's in front of us shaken to our core to the point that sometimes we just collapse constantly looking for some sort of escape some way out of whatever it is that has disturbed us I'm sure all of you have felt that feeling at some point or another Feeling is what Jesus experienced as he waited outside of the tomb with Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, and the crowd of mourners who gathered with them. But then that begs the question what is it that shakes the very core of God himself? What is it in all of creation that has Jesus greatly disturbed? short answer is that nothing. Because what has Jesus disturbed does not belong in creation. Not as God intended it. Jesus was disturbed by death. He was disturbed by, by his friend who suffered illness and now lay in a tomb because of it. The absence of life, the, the, the silence of the darkness that stands in direct contrast to everything that God is and does for us, 
shook him to his core. The light, the light shining in the darkness, is disturbed by death, but the light has not overcome it. Jesus was disturbed by this this disrupted communion. He's disturbed by sins wreaked havoc in creation. He's disturbed that now Mary and Martha and their loved ones have to figure out how to live in a world without their brother in it. Without their friend in it. To live life with this void that Lazarus' death has left in their lives. See, he's been there four days. He's no longer there to share a meal or a laugh. He's no longer there to talk about life or his hopes or his dreams or to figure out with them what it means to grow in faith together and fight against this world that seems to want to take everything away from us. He's not there to help them do that. Lord, if only you'd been there. My brother, my sister, my parent, my spouse, my child would not have died. And Jesus was disturbed by the grief, the grief that that statement came from. The grief that consumed Mary and Martha and the others there with them. In the previous chapter of John's Gospel, Jesus had told his disciples that he came so that the world may have life and have life abundantly. As Mary and Martha mourn, they're experiencing everything but an abundant life. Their brother is gone. They have no way to work. They can't own property. They don't know how they're going to take care of themselves. And they're struggling in all of this grief and loss to try to figure out what tomorrow has in store for them. Their life is anything but abundant. And now they weep. They weep, causing Jesus to be greatly disturbed and deeply moved. Jesus' recoil, his reaction to all of this disruption to himself is to weep. Not to just shed tears, but that deep, uncontrollable sobbing that comes over you sometimes where not even a noise can come out because the body's doing everything that it can to just flush these tears from our system. Jesus weeps because of suffering. He weeps because of death. He weeps because he sees in the life of those whom he loves pain and loss. Herman Ritterbos, a a biblical scholar and student of John's gospel, said that in this passage, as the Son of God, Jesus does not come to redeem the world from imaginary grief or to make grief over death imaginary. Therefore, Jesus joins the mourning procession for the friend whom he is to raise from the dead, and he weeps. He knows that this is not what God has in store for us. He knows that he has the power to raise Lazarus from the dead, and yet he weeps 
Because what he's experiencing in that time and in that moment with his friends is not an abundant life. Is not the life that God has in store for any of us. He weeps not because his humanity is frail, but because his divinity is strong. And suffering and death is an affront to everything that God is and everything that God does for us in this good earth. And because he weeps, because Jesus is so angry at this and unsettled as death and its toll are waged on his friends, on those whom he loves, Jesus does something. He issues three commands Three words that are just as powerful as the words that God spoke at the beginning of creation. Take the stone away. Lazarus, come out. Unbind him and let him go. Jesus goes to the tomb. He tells him to take the stone away and he commands this dead man to come out. He prays to God that the people who are surrounding him will come to understand what is happening here. That grief and death and loss are real, but they are not from God. And he disturbs the powers of death, causing them to recoil, turning loose of Lazarus, the man that they held captive, the one whom Jesus loves. From death's dark chains. Get this obstacle out of the way that is separating him from the community and keeping that community, that family, from being whole. Come out of that grave. Death does not separate you from God or from your neighbor anymore. Get these wrappings off of him. The marks of death and sin. And sickness that cause so much pain. That cause us to mourn and to weep. Are not the marks of your life. Now or ever. When Jesus was disturbed he acted. The raising of Lazarus is an image. Of what we proclaimed at the beginning of worship. That when we were baptized into a death like his, we will certainly be raised to a resurrection like his. The very next passage in John's gospel displays Jesus gathered with Mary and Martha and Lazarus around a table, eating a meal together. The unbinding of Lazarus is an image of what happens at this table where we gather with those who were dead who now live and rest in Christ Jesus to share a meal together with our risen Lord. We share in this place together God's good gifts, God's promise to be with us always, God's promise that sickness and death and suffering are not what God has in store for us. And so if death and separation from a community are what disturbs God, it's the exact opposite that bring God joy and show us what it is that God has in store for us. Life 
fellowship, being knit together in the life that comes from God itself. This is what God is. This is who God is. And these are the things that God does for each and every one of us. In the book of Revelation, God shows John of Patmos that what is to come will be a new heaven and a new earth, a holy city prepared for God's people to be together, to give glory to God and to worship and praise, to be knit together by the power of this resurrection promise. What God shows John is that what happened to Mary and to Martha and to Lazarus and to us is not the end. It is not the last word. Ever. See, the home of God is among mortals. God will dwell with all of us as our God. We will be his peoples and God himself will be with us. God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and weeping and suffering will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And God is our future. God is our everything. Our life, our comfort, and our joy. God promises to do all of these things for all the saints, now and forever. Amen.